Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Thank you, everyone. How about all that? A, re- a remarkable quarterfinals weekend in France. Two absolute classic games in Paris, which we'll remember forever, I think. And some other matches were played in Marseille as well, apparently. Um, we were all virtual for this episode this week, but you're once more joined by myself, Ben Coles. I'm here with Charlie Morgan. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Ben. And also with Charles Richardson. Salut, Charles. Salut, salut, bonjour tout le monde. Um, Charlie and I have popped back to London for a couple of days and Charles, we've left you in Paris. Just wondered what the mood is is like as they try and process what happened on Sunday night. Well, yeah, the cold has crept into Paris, but it's nothing in comparison to the sort of, to the frost that hit on um, on Sunday night at the Stade de France when, uh, when France crashed out. Yeah, just stunned. I think everyone was stunned. I think France as a nation has been stunned. They can't believe it. Um, just complete dejection, desolation. Um, I've never seen Antoine Dupont like that in a post-match press conference before. And what was the tone of his? What was the tone of him calling out Ben O'Keefe? Because I found that because I have never seen him even on the pitch. I've hardly seen him break into anything quizzical. Even uh, it was surprisingly uh, spicy. I would say uh, the first question or the second question that he was asked, it happened, it happened very early on in the press conference. He, um, a, a, a French reporter asked him what he thought of Ben O'Keefe's performance and Dupont immediately just went back and said, well, what did you think of Ben O'Keefe's performance? That was his, that was his <laughs> retort, his, his immediate retort. And then he just completely went off on one and I've never seen him like that before. Um, said that Ben O'Keefe wasn't at the required level um, for a game of such magnitude. Um, and yeah, I've never heard him. Never heard him be so animated about anything, actually, let alone an official. You raised a great point, Charles, when we were chatting about it afterwards. That basically every single ruck in that final passage of play, he would sort of just stand there with his hands on his hips and look at O'Keefe like, "Can you give me a penalty yeah. here? You're going to allow yeah, this to really? happen?" Like, that, really? It was such a yeah, it was such an interesting theme. Um, we'll dive more into that game and, and the others as well. Just a quick note for you that. While we might not be together right now, keep your eyes peeled for a, a potential special episode later this week when we're all in Paris for what is going to be the first time this tournament that all three of us have been in the same city, I want to say, for, yeah, this, for one that's game. That's correct. 
Charles, a nice, easy layup for you. Um, just yeah. to start off, give me a highlight of the weekend. And you get to go first. That's very lucky. Um, I think, it, although it sounds a, a little bit sort of brutal in a losing cause, I think the performance of Peter Movaca, the French hooker, was was probably my highlight of the weekend. Uh, I think it was pro- the best individual performance of the weekend alongside um, Ali Surveyor and Sam Kane for New Zealand. I thought he was magnificent. He's not even first choice for them. You know, Julien Marchand he would usually be the starting hooker. Um, as, as I rate my player ratings, he might well be first choice now because that was uh, some display for a hooker. Charlie, what about you? He got he got ten out of ten from you, didn't he, Charles? He did. He did get ten out of ten. Fair uh, I thought play. it was um, absolutely magnificent. Mine was. Um, Damien Valenza calling Damien Valenza calling for a calling for a scrum from a mark because I just thought that was really cool, really uh, emblematic of how crafty and um, how well how much swagger there is about this Springbok side, maybe particularly their coaching team and how they they managed to navigate that game um, was pretty pretty special. I think Razi Erasmus has been on on. Um, on record since I since I wrote a piece that's on our website about that moment, um, saying that it wasn't performative, which I I disagree with a bit, but it was more about engaging France in in, in a scrummaging battle, and actually I think even more cleverly to sort of make them think about their own kicking game and, and shortening up their kicking game because long kicking has been such a foundation of their success over this past World Cup cycle. So I just thought it was really cool on on so many levels. Yeah, I think I think that was. Yeah, I think there's an argument to say that that's where the game was won. Almost, um, you know, that moment that felt like such a turning point. Didn't necessarily feel it so much at the time, but looking back and in, in terms of how South Africa strangled that second half, I think um, I think the French the French the French team have become synonymous with being bold and daring and audacious. And actually, um, the most audacious moment of the entire match was at the hands of the Springboks. So I think that was. Yeah, a, a, a monstrous moment. From it, it sort of meant it sort of meant everything, and it meant nothing because I agree with all of those things as far as a statement being made, Charles. But and they won a penalty, which sort of doubled doubled down on how um, how much of a flex it was. But then they kicked for touch, and 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 they didn't make they didn't make touch, did they? So it sort of meant nothing. But again, yeah, statement of it. But it's, it was a yeah, it was a mentality thing, and the repercussions of. What that had, what that had done in the minds of both referee and France, sort of for the rest of the game, because from then in on as well, that, I think that was the first scrum penalty, and from there it was um, it was a very it became a very one sided area of the game. I would say a, a half highlight for me was watching Charles give out a ten out of ten in his player ratings because I was just like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And then he did, and I was just I, I was absolutely astounded. Um, I, I will go with something from Ireland, New Zealand, just the end of Ireland, New Zealand, I, because. Pulling back the curtain slightly, we we were on player ratings and we filed them before the final whistle because of, you know, could get the paper away. So I actually got to watch the final few minutes. I've never felt my sort of heart going as as much oh just watching a, a final like bit of play as those thirty seven phases. Like no no real affiliation to either side and was just kind of so wrapped up in the moment. And I think everyone else was because everyone was sort of watching and it was loud, but everyone was hushed at the same time. It was it was just extraordinary theatre and and yeah let's talk more about it in a bit but but just before we finish this section England are the only Northern Hemisphere team left Charlie discuss just like we called it all along 
Yeah, wild. Um, if they were, yeah, I, I mean, that doesn't surprise me hugely just given the draw, but I'd, shout out to Michael Checker for giving a really interesting take on the draw, which was just that they're all encompassing in the in these tournaments and you find out about them year, with years to go and you just tailor everything with that draw in mind when you peak. And he, and he used a, an example from the, from the England game because Argentina would, were horrible, as we've discussed in that, in that England game. But he said, well, yeah, our, our prep was in no way were we going to, we were, we were going to peak for that. We had a light preparation. We didn't play many games. They had the rugby championship. And then if you remember, they didn't have another kind of big international. They played Spain and won that very easily. Actually picked up, picked up an injury. So it would have been a sort of, I imagine, fairly underwhelming run out. Um, and, they, and he just said, we knew that game would be rough against England because we had a lot of guys playing in the World Cup for the first time. Um, England have gone the other way. They've gone for experience. Um, and then and then from there, Argentina are built and built and built. And now they've got a shot at, at reaching a final for the first time in history. So to go back on England, um, not hugely surprised given the draw. And I think it was always going to get to this point where they've given Steve Borthwick and his coaching team a chance to really work out a game plan for a one-off big game. And we know that that's what, he enjoys doing so very interesting times ahead as well we've basically had the draw reversed haven't we I mean the, the upshot may well have been the same I it might still have always been a New Zealand South Africa final we'll never know I mean it might not be a New Zealand South Africa final but that's the way that the wind's blowing I think we'd we'd all agree but as I, I think we've got sort of the quarterfinals after the semis almost that's certainly how it feels in terms of the vibe of the tournament now. I think there was much more anticipation last week ahead of those four matches than there is and has been so far this week. I mean, I know we're only early in the week, but I just can't see it hitting the same heights as it did last week in terms of anticipation, just because on paper there are two such clear favourites. Let's dive in to start with, Charlie, after a little break, to hear what you made of England's win over Fiji to get them into the semi-finals. Right, Charlie, England are in the final four and, and there seemed to be a consensus that up until like the last um, 20 minutes or so, this was their their best performance at this World Cup. What did you make of it? Yeah, very good. Very good twice, actually, in two different ways because of what you're talking about there. Going 24-10 up, they were really good. They, they kind of didn't give Fiji oxygen in the areas that Fiji are really good at. Um, I thought a really, really impressive facet of their game which kind of helped them get over the line again at the end was they they Levani Bottia swoops to win a jackal turnover with 82 seconds on the clock from from a in the middle of an England attack that actually looks quite sharp then Herbozi gets one out wide after England go quick from a free kick trying to th- throw something a little bit different at Fiji and from there on there was a tangible sense that was uh, sort of personified or, or kind of came through most clearly in the performances of England's back five forwards of, right, Matthew Reynal is letting quite a lot go here. We've got to be just as aggressive ourselves. And that, to me, just shows a serious amount of progress because how often, when England lose big games or games at all, it often they've often it's often been because they've been quite tentative at the breakdown or they've become set, they've been sort of bullied a bit in that area or out outmaneuvered, however you want to however you want to put it, and they've just got on the wrong side of the referee. And this was them taking that into their own hands. Laws was fantastic. Itoji was fantastic. And I know, uh, I, say, I know you've written about the um, 
the refereeing decisions Colsey and how Waisei and Isolevu was pretty gutted at the end of the game. But I genuinely think that 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 was a seriously frenetic breakdown battle. And he was reasonably even, you know, uh, Fiji did get some some calls their way um, over the course of it. But just how how aggressive England were there was was really, really good. And as I say, they won it twice. They were got to 24-10 up, had a bit of a stumble, lost all momentum. When um, Batitu went over, it was looking pretty hairy for them, but then they righted themselves again and came through. And that that's what you just have to get, do in knockout games. Often, as players will say, you have to win it more than once. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving them enough credit, really, with that introduction. They did, they did actually do very well in the final 10 minutes to, to regather their composure and to kind of settle things down. The drop goal was actually very well executed. I think, I think we were watching in... Um, we were watching just outside the Stade de France, weren't we, Charles, and, and in a room yeah. full of Saffers and a few French people. And when Farrell would kick the drop goal, I think everybody was sort of like, oh, yeah, that, you know, it's a very sensible decision. In, in terms it was of... a ripple, a ripple of applause. <laughs> polite, it, was re- it, was, it was really applause. funny being in, the, being in the ground. So Farrell got booed during the warm-up as he's done ridiculously over the, over the last couple of months or so. Um, and it was, and I think his first couple of shots at goal, when he sort of opted to shoot to go for goal, got a smattering of boos. And as the game went on, every time he pointed for post, people, there was sort of more and more positive reaction. And it was sort of like, yeah, this is. It was like people there were sort of realizing, and, and the, some of the boos will have come from neutrals and Fiji fans, I'm sure. But it was like the England fans there were realizing, yeah, this is actually our best shot of winning games at this World Cup and it was him taking command of that the, the drop goal I don't know about you live I was totally foxed by it I thought that they were going to continue going around the corner and I hadn't actually seen Farrell go into the pocket so at one point when sort of Danny Kerr swiveled and passed it back I thought that's going to no one oh no 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 it's going to, it's going to own Farrell um it was really uh, yeah but that was it was quite sharp wasn't it and um yeah quite clinical they completely did you hook line and sink it yeah yeah um, I mean, I think that was the first drop goal attempt from England, wasn't it? Uh, since the Argentina game, is that right? And I think we're going to have to see it again this this Sunday. I think I think it needs to reverts reverts their Argentina best. I think if we're going to see an upset, don't they? Is that basically every time they get what forty meters out, someone needs to be in the pocket? Because that, three. on on a serious on a serious point regarding that, because that, because that was the one thing. We'll talk more about France later. That was the one thing when France were 25-19 up and they were pressing in the second half where I just thought, somebody please take three points somehow. Like someone knock over a drop goal. Somebody like win a penalty and kick three just to get beyond a, a score of, of South Africa. And, and France didn't and, and look what happened. I always think that that period, and it's always around or often around the sort of end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, isn't it? And a team will be sort of either on the cusp of one score ahead or on the cusp of going two to three scores ahead. And England had it, they're 24-10 up. And there was a point where Farrell's long-range shot dropped short and he just thought, the firepower that Fiji have got, you want to be three scores ahead. You want to be 15 points or more ahead. And those are the times, and it's sometimes it must be very difficult for players to sort of take take a step back from the from the moment that they're in. But those are the times when drop goals are sort of more 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 valuable than ever and that's what England did so well in that first game against Argentina was just keep just don't get bored with it and there was a moment when England England were 15-3 up 
and Alex Mitchell sends a box kick out on the full and then Tom Curry um, concedes a really needless uh, breakdown penalty. Those are the those are the areas where you just you just can't get bored in knockout games and you and that and, but that's when the stress on you just hammering home that game plan relentlessly. That's when the kind of I guess the stress must feel at its at its highest. But no, absolutely, um, I, I totally agree with you, Colsey. And if, I think that's going to be even more even more important this weekend because from the way South Africa played against France, I mean, I know they'll change tax slightly and they'll have a bespoke plan for England but they just fed off they just fed off French errors really honestly it, France played all the rugby I mean you look at the defenders beat and I think France are into the 40s South Africa are around 12 um, you know France played all the rugby but then South Africa knew and just stuck in the fight and were patient and patient and patient waited for France to make a mistake and um, and South Africa capitalised and that's what will happen this weekend unless England are comp- 100% accurate and whiter than white everywhere and they just have to keep that concentration for a full 80 minutes they have to this is a question sort of tied to those French areas in the kicking game Charlie in the way they went after um, Louis Vierbiari out on the wing um, will England keep Smith at 15 and move Stewart onto the wing to have a better kicking option or are they or are they almost too worried about being beaten for pace on the wing by Colby or Arenzi that you want to keep a Johnny May out there? How are they going to manage sort of being strong in the kicking game but having enough speed to cover those players? I, I would say I, I never for a minute thought that Freddie Stewart being dropped for from the Fiji for the Fiji game was the end of his tournament. Yeah. If England continued to win, of course. Um, I would I would reinstate him at, at fullback. Um, I think Elliot Daly has sneakily defended quite well in this tournament. Um, I think Johnny May's experience as far as positioning is is quite important. Um, and the big so for me the call and then sorry and then one more I think having those three centres Marchant to Laggy and Lawrence in the twenty three is important. So for me I think it comes down to Smith or Ford, um, but. Stewart, they've gradually, slowly used, and, and a quite a good example was I think the first Wales, um, first Wales warm-up game. They've used him as a not just a sort of um, goalkeeper type fullback to sort of um, mop up high balls from opposition. They've used him on the front foot a bit more as well, and I think that's going to be key. Um, just putting that heat aerially back on South Africa because you're right, South Africa themselves used that fantastically against France, didn't they? Charles, is it fair to say um, that Ben Earl has been England's best player at this World Cup with the performances he, he's actually now consistently putting in? I think I think that's totally fair, and certainly when you when you add to that that he's basically playing out of position. I know he can play number eight, but he's that's not his his full time mm. position. You know, he, we see him more on the flank. Um, yeah, I think he's certainly been. You know, he was excellent again against Fiji one of England's best um, and I don't think any of us would have necessarily had that at the start of the tournament as a prediction and certainly not in the Six Nations where he was dropped um, uh, by Borthwick for for which, which game was it where after the Scotland game was it where he dropped him for the for the Wales game is that right um, and um, yeah he's been absolutely magnificent on the back row absolutely magnificent um, and I, I would have started Billy Vunipola at the start of the tournament I still think that potentially at his best when he's fully fit and firing there's still a space for Billy, Billy Vunipola on that back row um, just because of the 
the ball carrying ballast that he gives to England. Um, but certainly at the minute, in terms of form, you, you can't look beyond Ben Earl at number eight. I, I just on the on the kicking point, uh, I think I think something that's sort of slightly gets forgotten about is just how short. Um, Chesson Colby and Kurt Lorenzo are in comparison to Freddie Stewart and Johnny May and Elliot Daly. And that's some, that is somewhere where England could properly get into them, I think, on Sunday. And I mentioned it in a piece on the website about um, slightly clutching at straws, but where England could potentially harm South Africa. And I think Johnny May and Elliot Daly are both excellent in chasing, attacking, attacking box kicks and reclaiming the ball. We saw Johnny May do it brilliantly, ironically, in the loss to Fiji in the warm-ups. Um, and I think with those two and Freddie Stewart, that's somewhere where England could really you know, hurt the spring box. And that's such a sort of easy territory wins and easy possession wins as well. Um, and it's sort of, you know, it's going to be a game. It's going to be tight. It's going to be cagey. And it's going to be a game where these small small wins could add up in something much bigger. I mean, we've just spoken about how um, South Africa calling a mark, uh, <laughs> sorry, calling a scrum from a mark felt like a turning point in a game. Well, there could be similar things that happen on Sunday. And I just wondered, Charles, in terms of... Um in terms of how where that performance ranks is, is England's under Steve's, I, th- I think we're decided in saying that that is the best performance thing they've produced so far. It, they're going to go into this as underdogs, and, and we'll, we'll chat into it. We'll talk more previewy a bit later in the week. But I just think, in terms of, there seems to be a real confidence to them and a real steeliness. And the, and the quotes yesterday about Farrell and about Genge saying everyone wants us to lose. Do, do you quite like the vibe that England are giving off at the moment? Well, I, I certainly like the fact that they're not getting ahead of themselves. I think that, that I mean, I don't think a, a, a team coached by Steve Borthwick will ever get ahead of itself, frankly. Um, but I, I do think that it, it, there's no need for them this week to be particularly punchy in the press, I don't think, because... Well, they might they might see it that they've got nothing to lose, but also at the same time, there's no need to poke the bear this week. Like they're underdogs, they could definitely go in and, and surprise South Africa, um, sort of a bit under the radar, maybe, and just concentrate on themselves. A bit like um, England, New Zealand, that victory in in 2019, where I think the the playing fields were a little bit more level between England and New Zealand in 2019, um, but the, the, there was there was a sense of. England sort of seemed very composed and concentrating on themselves and believing that they could pull off an upset without having to sort of get into the opposition too much or, or, or talk very much about sort of the wider the wider picture. Um, I, I think I don't think Ellis Genge is correct when he says that everyone hates them. I think that's a little bit strong. Hate is a very very strong word, um, but I certainly do think they are underdogs this weekend, and maybe embracing that could be could be in you know could work in their favour. More preview chat to come later in the week, but we need to we need to look back and Charles Charles. I know this will be hard, but we need to talk about France. So let's do that next. France and Africa on Sunday night. What an absolute pleasure um, to be there. To be honest, it was it was an absolute delight. One of the one of the great games, maybe the best first half of rugby I've ever seen, and, and I think a lot of people are in agreement about that. We had six tries in the first 30 minutes alone and they were like two two overweight boxes going at each other in just a just an amazing, amazing contest. Um Charles, how would you sum up the noise in the stadium when France got those first couple of tries through Surabai and, and Peter Mavaka? It was it was unreal, wasn't it? 
Absolutely incandescent. I mean, it was it was breathtaking stuff. It was breathless. The game was being played at such a pace. Little did we know, actually, at that time, that that was France's purple patch basically for the entire game. I know they scored more points, but that was where they they had to hammer that hammer home that advantage. And were it not for a, a very very dubious Ebenezerbeth knock backwards slash knock forwards they might have had uh, an extra try and conversion um but the, you know the atmosphere was absolutely breathtaking spine tingling all those words that that come out were all completely justified uh, on sunday night Lam- a superb rendition of la Marseille's, although all the anthems are still far too fast in terms of the <laughs> in terms of the renditions of the versions so it gets all higgledy piggledy across the stadium but the um yeah an absolutely phenomenal atmosphere and the springboks fans and the springboks team played their part too this was not just well i mean obviously south africa won so it clearly wasn't just one way traffic one sided but even in terms of the vibe in the stadium it was it was something real special Listeners, Charles has just um, pulled out like a presentation behind him showing how the Exabeth, um contact was was forward and the, and the various angles <laughs> and trigonometry involved. And it looks very detailed, Charles. I don't think it will it will change the outcome, sadly. And, and don't get me started on the Colby charge down. Oh no, we need that's honestly next on my on my list of things to talk about. So, so did you think he was? Did you think he set off? Early, I, so one French journalist, I think it was Clément Mazella, put out a video, um, which I guess came from TF1, which sort of showed the the sort of split second where Colby started moving and Ramos kind of shuffled his feet or shoulders, and and I thought it was too too tight to to rule out the conversion um, or, or to say the charge time was legal. Charles, what did you think? Um, no, I, I'd, agree, I'd agree with you, Colsey. I'd agree with you. All I would say is. My my annoyance was more, and frustration was more, with the fact that I don't think it was checked, or at least if it was, it was very subtly checked in the background, and we weren't made aware of it. The tier, that's a hundred percent in these matches, the sort of thing that the TMO should be checking. And if the TMO did check it, um, I agree that I don't think there was anything necessarily clear and obvious to overturn the decision. But if they didn't check it, then that that's a problem because because that was such a such a big moment again. These these small moments where at the time at the time I don't think you and I felt that it you know that it was that crucial it felt it felt sloppy from Ramos and superb from Colby but I, I didn't feel like it would decide the game and in the end it actually might have done we'll never know but it might have done no I was going to agree at the time it sort of felt like a cool detail in a in a wild first half but if you told me that that would that those two points denied would be the the difference between one of the teams going to the semi-finals I'd, yeah I mean the, the the consequences were enormous um Charlie, talk to me about what percentage of the hair on your body stood on end when you saw Damien Winter call for a mark and then and then say, "Yeah, we'll have a scrum in our own 22. I, th- I think my my hand did inadvertently go up to my mouth. I just thought it was yeah. I just as I say, the swagger, the swagger on it, the flex, the um, it's, it's sort of become a become a term used in cricket a lot, hasn't it? Alf being like alphaing someone. Um, when you get somebody to give you good throwdowns in the nets or something like that, but um, or don't don't take your helmet off when you score a hundred. It was sort of it's had that vibe to it, um, but yeah, just fantastic. It was just one of one of those one of those of things like the Etzebeth sort of bat backwards in inverted commas and like the Colby charge down that you hardly ever see. You sort of know they're possible in rugby union. You know that you can do that if you're absolutely nuts. You can call for a scrum from a from a mark. 
but actually to have it happen in a World Cup knockout game, just, yeah, and to have them all packed into that first half, as you say, incredible, really. I have seen, I have, well, there, there have been charge down conversions and you do yeah, see them. Yeah. Maybe maybe like once a season, maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's very rare at international level. But what I would say is I don't think I've ever seen a scrum call from a mark ever no. in my entire life, I don't think. I loved it. I think you could do it on Jonah Lomi Rugby, genuinely, because the yeah, options no, come up. you're right. The options yes. come up and you could press the square triangle, or and go triangle, for a scrum, yeah. which was a triangle, sure. Um, <laughs> the, I, the, charging down conversions. Do you remember, Pete, I think it was in a Barbarians game, was it Peter Stringer? Uh, James O'Connor was cooking. Was yes. he cooking? He was cooking. He was cooking. Or, <laughs> he was cooking for Australia and he had a bit of a, um, a shoulder shuffle. And Peter Stringer just started running and then picked up the ball because Off the O'Connor team, hadn't yeah. moved mm. since. Yeah, it was just before half-time, but that's definitely a thing. And nobody knew what was going on then either. We, we've had a charge down conversion recently, haven't we? Am I going mad? I feel, I feel like there's been one within the You're last... Right on the weekend. No, as in, as in before... I feel like we've had one within the last year. Am I just... Maybe it's maybe it's some premiership game that I've watched and it's, it's stuck in my brain. Shout out to... Andrew Ford, who does these fantastic compilations on 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 YouTube, I think he's got a a um, I think he's got a compilation of charge down conversions, which is um, yeah, get onto that. That's that's fast work. Fair play to him. Um, so not for the it's not the first time we've said this, and it won't be the last. But I thought South Africa's use of their bench was particularly interesting because you had Khaleesi off on about 46 minutes for Dion Fury, I think, coming on, who is your, your kind of hybrid hooker back row. And then and then Libok and Reinach were off about the same time for De Klerk and Pollard. It was, they'd gone back to a 5-3 split and we're so obsessed with South Africa's power off the bench. I thought actually tactically bringing those players on, given where the game was poised at that time, was, was really interesting. And it worked, didn't it? Because, you know, it, it was nice because you had De Klerk and Pollard on to kind of, see the game out so let's scrap you back into a lead yeah I mean they were amazing just the energy that they brought they, they, they completely outdid France's bench I think France probably would regret going um, 6-2 maybe I'm, I'm not really sure but I mean because just because the Faf brought so much energy at the base and harried and harried Kocha Smith also just absolutely superb Erge Snyman just putting in shots they were all absolutely awesome to a man um Beat up, beat up their French equivalents uh, who, who also came off the bench. Uh, the, the front row did a proper job at the scrum. You then had Radar Wardy, the, the, the French loose said, coming off the bench, and, and he was, you know, he was dynamic and he was busy. But it, ultimately, he's he's the player who knocked the ball on at the end to, to give South Africa the win. So yeah, I mean, it was it was absolutely a, a feather in the cap for, for the Springboks over over France. Did you go to Afrikaans school yesterday after I left you in Paris? Because you, you've been you've been working hard on your pronunciations and I'm I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just well I'm 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 following the spring box this week so I'm just getting I'm just getting in the I'm You're just trying to make friends. Yeah. You're, just, you're yeah. just trying to you're just trying to get on site. Yeah. Um with the with the debunk comments we, we mentioned them earlier. I I wonder I wonder how World Rugby will deal with that. Because it's just quite interesting because it's Dupont, face of the tournament, sort of op- very openly criticising referee as brazenly as we see coaches do, and then coaches get you know quite a word in the ear or, or punished for sort of referee criticism. I mean, they kind of, pardon me, feels like they kind of have to do something, don't they? And, and also, poor Ben O'Keefe. I mean, he had a he had a 
a day where, you know, every decision is scrutinised and he had to say hello to me and Charles in, on Sunday morning when we walked past him leaving our hotel as well. Maybe that's what set off the chain of events. Um, but on, <laughs> yeah. the, on the more serious point, Charlie, what, what do you think What do you think they do? Well, I don't know where... Where does the sport go if the best... So Wayne Barnes um, refereeing South Africa is a thing now because of what happened in, in Marseille last, last November and, and the fallout from that after Razi Erasmus's sort of videos and the pylon that ensued. Ben O'Keefe refereeing France when it happens again is going to be a thing because of how um, the high-profile nature and, and how he's been criticised I just think I just think every game the the margins are so small between the top top sides in the world, and coaches are coaching players to take take risks by being aggressive as possible on the floor and in the contact area. That and as and I don't uh, whether you remember me helpfully informing Alad Walters how the the South how South Africa play, <laughs> yes. but they go they they go so so hard. You know they want to get in as many battles as as possible, and officiating. One of those, all of those battles, absolutely correctly, is is impossible. Um, so I, I just don't. I think that there's a, there's there maintains this um, false impression of what is actually possible for referees. How how good in inverted commas it is it is for them to be. Um, so yeah, I, I could I it it Dupont should get at least a private talking to about it. He would would have been seriously emotional, obviously given. Given just you know what was what France had built up and how much stock they'd put in this World Cup and, and in him personally, um, so emotions would have been high. But yeah, it's um, it's unacceptable, really. Yeah, um, referees do have an impossible job. But I mean, are we not all in in agreement that? Mr. O'Keefe didn't have his finest evening. Not, not for, not. I'm not saying that it affected the result, and I don't, and I'm not condoning Antoine Dupont's comments because I don't think, I don't think that he was the reason that France lost. But I don't think necessarily Ben O'Keefe had his finest evening with the whistle. Given, given it took me what, about five hours to pick through England Fiji yesterday, checking all the key penalties. If, if you now do it for France New Zealand and present me with the uh, France France Africa and present me with the evidence, then. Um, then yeah. What, then, are, what, then are, maybe what are the calls we're talking about? What are the calls we're talking about? The, the well, SFF, I, just checking them, just checking them. That well, that no, I just, I, I thought also just uh, the, the breakdown was a mess and he let both teams just get away with but with, with murder, really. I, I thought that it was just a complete mess, the no. breakdown on several, on numerous occasions. I thought that he didn't manage the tackler rolling away very well. He didn't manage, that, that was the main one, to be honest. It was the mm. tackler rolling away and you could tell by the end how frustrated Antoine Dupont was with the South Africa tacklers getting in the way of him wanting to play the ball quickly. They were rolling into him, but they were just they were just on the right line every single time, whereby it wasn't completely obvious that they were that they were infringing, um, and I think O'Keefe let them get away with it a little bit. Maybe it was a tactical, strategic masterclass, and they were gaming the system perfectly. Uh, and I don't doubt that you know that was part of it. Um, but I think also, I think also he um, there was the the pass from Faf de Klerk into the prone into the prone French player. I mean. And I know that's what, a penalty. That's a penalty for me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I completely. I, I think so funny. too. I mean, I, so I can't believe I can't believe he let France get away with it. You know, yeah. as in every other every other day of the week, it's um, in the Prem. That's a penalty to the attacking yeah. team every day of the week. And I just think there was a lot of very strange decisions happening. Mm. It, I mean, we'll we'll find out probably today, maybe tomorrow, whether he's got a semi final. There's only one he can actually have. 
uh, and it's in guns, uh, and we'll see what the, the powers that be made of made of his performance on Sunday night. Before we we think about refereeing appointments, we need to chat about the other the other quarterfinal on on Saturday and, and just what a, a belter that was. So let's do that now. I wonder when we look back on the tournament, which which actual game we will think was better out of Ireland. Um, New Zealand and France Africa because because having been at both and having been so enamoured with the first half of France Africa I am already kind of leaning towards Ireland New Zealand just because it was extraordinary on on so many levels I I would put it as New Zealand's best performance since I thought it was better than the Ellis Park win last year which was re- which was really good maybe they're and and probably better than anything they produced at the the Rugby World Cup in 2019. Like I can remember being really impressed with how they played in that opening win over South Africa and and sort of in the quarter final. But I I would put it as their best win since the first test against the Lions in 2017. Would there be any any quibbling there from either of you if I said that? That's a great shout, the 2017 first test, because that was also a bit of a tactical curveball, wasn't it? They sort of... Um, narrowed things up and just pumped pumped the lines through the middle, which wasn't really expected. Got super quick ball. Aaron Smith was amazing. Um, they were very good. They showed a little little flashes of that's of how clinical and how clever they were off the back of kicks against South Africa in the in the Rugby Championship in Auckland. Um, but I think as far as a sustained effort on both sides of the ball as well, I've seen um, Bernard Jackman make the point that. Um, a lot of teams have gone after Ireland during this winning run in one specific area and maybe got a little bit of pay. Um, New Zealand went after them in a kind of load of different ways. So with a short kicking game, with the attack off the back of that, and then also just relentlessly a defensive breakdown, which really rattled Ireland. And normally if a team does that for a little bit against Ireland, then Ireland are good enough to make to, to make their attack click and, and get a couple of tries um, to give them breathing space when when there when there are lapses from the defence, but it was just a kind of all out eighty minute effort from New Zealand in defence, which was yeah phenomenal. Charles, what a statement performance from from Sam Kane, the All Blacks captain, whose kind of selection had had been discussed in the build up. Would they go with the more athletic Dalton Pabalihi? Would they go with Kane for his kind of his work rate and his graft? And and he more than than showed why he was the right selection over side flank, didn't he? Oh yeah, egg on my face totally because I think on the pod either last week or the week before I was suggesting that that Delta Papali should start at seven and, and, and they should have Kane on the bench and, and make Ardy captain and um, yeah, maybe he heard me, he probably didn't and uh, proved me completely wrong on Saturday night because he was the best player on the park I thought, um, absolutely unbelievable some of the shots he was putting in, there was one on Doris um, in the first half there was that one where he came flying across um, uh, to, to, to chop Keenan in the second half that were just that made that stopped you in their tracks, um, and he was just a menace at the breakdown. Him and him and Ardi Savea just dovetailed beautifully in, in defence and really, really disrupted Ireland, really rattled Ireland. And then you've got the sort of the power and the dynamism of, of, of Shannon Frizzell at six. And if they carry on playing like that, then it's going to take a really good team, um, given how crucial the back row unit is in, in 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 modern rugby. It's going to take a really, really good team to stop them from lifting a, a, another another world title. 
Foster was quite interesting afterwards, wasn't he? Because he sort of suggested that Frizzell had been had been good, but maybe not quite playing to his full limit. So it does make you it makes you interested to see what you could get from if you have Frizzell at, at playing at his maximum with Kane playing like that, with, and with Adesavier just being he's <laughs> just so much fun to watch on both sides of the ball with the turnovers he makes and the, and the carries he can he can offer out wide in those wider channels. I, I was so impressed. I, I went back through the, the tape on on Sunday morning to look at what Kane had, had, had done. And, and you're right, Charles, they, they do dovetail so well because so often it would be, one one would be the tackler and then one would be ready to jackal. And, and you had situations where um, Ian Henderson sort of carried in into the two of them and, and poor Hugo Keenan was trying to get like Kane and Surveyor off a ruck. And I just thought, oh, bless you. Like you're never going to, you're never going to be able to sort of remove those players in that situation. No, I was impressed. He, he had the most tackles, 22, 22 tackles. Maybe not the most important intervention of the game because that belongs to to Jordy Barrett stopping him all, Charlie. I mean, he's such a big figure, physical presence now used in that 12. But but that seems as though they'd really practised that with him in that role, trying to get under those balls, and it worked perfectly. Yeah, Mwanga was in there as well, wasn't he? And a huge, huge, huge moment. And that's... Yeah, the, the, I've seen the whole did did Ireland choke um, sort of theme banded around. I don't think they were at their best, um, and New Zealand exploited that. But that just shows how small the margins were, right? Um, it was actually critical. I thought looking back that it, it felt important at the time that New Zealand, because they were cagey at the start, but how they sort of escaped their half um, and then got three nil up. And then went, you know, went six, went 13 with that fantastic try from Leicester Fire and Ganuku. Um, yeah, th- that felt very, to get that buffer um, against a team that hasn't, let alone let alone winning a quarterfinal, they haven't led in a quarterfinals, a World Cup quarterfinals since 1995. That's a heavy psychological burden. And then the, the sort of little errors that came later. So, for instance, Conor Murray... Um, Conor Murray's obstruction penalty, yeah. um, Doris dropping a dropping a dropout, mad for, for the sexton a, penalty uh, miss, and then the second, then the sexton penalty was the other one I'm thinking of. Um, those errors looked like a bit of just a bit of jitter setting set, settling in. Yeah. Having said that, for Ireland to work their way up the pitch brilliantly um, and have that face, faith in their face play to go 37 phases. And they so nearly did. I, I genuinely, yeah. as I was like you, Coles, you mentioned your heart rate at the start. God knows what my, uh, yeah, God knows what mine was. It was it was rattling around for sure. It was, yeah, I was just thinking about the jitters and also that that crazy Gibson Park pass sort of looking to the wing that Aaron Smith picked off as well, which could have been, could have gone the other way if it hadn't been for a very timely tap tackle. Um, we, we'll talk more about Sexton in just a sec, but he, his quote afterwards I thought was really interesting about the, the sort of tone of the game and how the All Blacks tries had sort of come as like sucker punches essentially because it had been when Ireland had sort of just scored or they they just got a bit of momentum and, that, and the whole game felt like Ireland were just going to get there eventually and get ahead because they, cause they weren't they weren't playing badly just having defensive lapses and it never happened I was, I was fascinated by how we never got there Charles how much do you reckon the Joe Schmidt element was was a factor in it. The, the Will Jordan drive was very well worked and, and, and sort of had 
that had an air of a, a Schmidt sort of strike play with, with Jordan on the inside. How, how much did his influence count in this game, do you think? Uh, yeah, I think highly. I mean, also, as, as Charlie's touched on, I think those chips over the top were clearly a, 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 the short chips from, from Bowden Barrett and from, from Rishi Mwanga were clearly a, a very a sort of deliberate tactic to try and get in behind Ireland to try and try and thwart that defensive line speed. Um, and, and they worked. They worked. They got in behind. They, they gave them front football. It was it formed a part of that very positive first half for them. Um, and then in the second half, they stung them with that. Yeah, fifth, about from halfway that that try from um, for the Will Jordan try where Mwanga and I think that had been building mm-hmm. from those chips over the top. I think Josh van der Fleer, mm-hmm. who's defending against Mwanga, was caught in two minds because he was wary mm-hmm. of Mwanga with ball in two hands with Jordan on his inside shoulder that he might chip over again. So I think he was just caught in three minds as to is is Mwanga going to chip over here for Jordan to chase? Um, is he going to? hit Jordan on his inside and in the end he did neither and he sort of dummied with ball in two hands and went himself and it wasn't a sort of missed tackle as it were from from poor technique it was that I don't think he quite read Van der Fleer didn't read what was happening because of the earlier work that they'd done with the chips over the top and that doubt that seed of doubt that they'd planted in the Irish minds and and from that it was it was a it was a Marvellous, marvellous score. Um, my favourite try of the game. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, it had Joe Schmidt's fingerprints all over it, didn't it, in terms of the, the tactics from where it came from and the strategy. Uh, and him knowing this Irish team not quite as well as some people have suggested, I don't think, because obviously it's it's developed and, and, and metamorphosed a lot. But his knowledge of, of how they play and how they want to play and his knowledge of how Andy Farrell coaches, because he was, he was there with him with Ireland, certainly would have played a a massive part in, in in that victory. If we get a New Zealand South Africa final, don't play the game because you don't need to. Just do a Colby Will Jordan sprint across the field and see who wins and decide it that way. Jordan is <laughs> fast, and and yeah. and Colby Colby going like poor Danny and Penno trying to turn to catch Colby for that for the Jesse Creel kick through oh, yeah. the Colby's try. I just looked at Penno and was like, "You're quick, and you are nowhere near what Colby's doing." Um, yeah. It's the acceleration, isn't it? It's the turn of pace. Yeah, just extraordinary. Um, just just to finish up the game, uh, to, quickly on the All Blacks and then, and then on Ireland. On the All Blacks, Charlie, have they... I, I wonder if they can replicate the intensity of that performance one week on because they sort of fixed everything that went wrong against France in the opener and that they had the fast start except this time they kept going whereas this time, you know, they, they had the fast start and they were able to stay ahead and keep finding ways to score. Is it? Can you replicate that again a week on in a, in a semi-final? I'd be incredibly impressed for a few reasons. I've just checked, and you can get you can get one to four on a New Zealand South Africa final, and England Argentina final is forty to one, which is quite something. Um, but the I uh, the it's a really interesting question because. The All Blacks were obviously involved in the in a semi-final in um, 2019 against England and England produced a quite remarkable performance against them, similar in as far as accuracy and intensity as New Zealand have just delivered against Ireland. And Steve Hansen tells a story of being in the sheds with England afterwards and saying, make sure that's not your final. And... Um, Whoops. New Zealand. So New Zealand clearly won't need that. New Zealand clearly won't need that lesson because they've been around the block before and they've delivered fantastic performances and knockouts before. If at the quarterfinal stage, you even think about how they pumped um, France in, in 2019, sorry, 2015. 
Um, but I just to get to those levels again, yeah, yeah. as far yeah. as the as I say, the output over the eighty minutes, they didn't commit. Yeah. Ireland didn't have one scrum put in. They did not have one scrum put in what? in the game because yeah. there were no. There were the the New Zealand handling was so slick, and they knew exactly when to sort of you know give up and 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 kick the ball. That is incredible accuracy. That is just so difficult to replicate on a kind of technical level, never mind the kind of emotional heights that they've got to reach again to um, to deliver what they delivered in, in defence and as far as a commit, commitment side. So, so difficult. Yeah. And, and Charles, one for you. you, you've written about the kind of the rebuild ahead of Ireland now after yet another quarterfinal exit, it kind of, because of the quality of the team this time, you can almost barely believe it. Just give me give me a summary of how, who is basically going sort of straight away that we know? I mean, Keith Ells and Johnny Sexton are retiring, but who else is, is probably going to be out the picture by the time we get to Australia in 2027? Well, I mean, that's 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 all we know for certain. Peter Omani, after the game, was, was a, a husk of a man, to be honest, and um, was asked about his future, and he just said he didn't know. Um, I, I think there's probably about, about a third. Uh, obviously, we don't know for certain, and players are playing longer and longer. And you look at Sexton at 38, although I, I do think he's the anomaly and not, not the rule. Um, it, um, I reckon about a third of that starting 15 will make fitness permitting and form permitting Australia 2027, which means that there's two thirds of that starting 15 up mm-hmm. for grabs. Mm-hmm. It might be that the players who are currently there make it and, and they uh, if they sort of have longer careers um, but they might need you know to, to, to tap into this fantastic talent conveyor belt that they've got in Ireland and you know they're in they're in such mm-hmm. they're in such good shape mm-hmm. as a rugby nation at the minute we've we've written a lot about that and there's a lot about that on the on the telegraph website just like France they're the two they're the two nations who are nailing it domestically at the minute and are sort of streamlining their their domestic scene um, to ensure that there's uh, a, a lot of success at international level. And while they have both lost quarterfinals, there has still been a lot of success at international level. Um, and the future is very bright. You know, they were the two sides in the in the under twenties final this year. If there if there is an Irish rebuild, it, it, I don't think it will be a particularly arduous task. Um, and, I, and they'll be back. They'll be back. I can't see them. I mean, I wouldn't put any money on it just because of the, the the history of it. But I would be very, very surprised if they weren't semi-finalists in 2027. Mm. Two final points on Ireland. Um, what an amazing tournament Bandiaki's had. Just think he's been utterly outstanding. You talk about moments in the France-Africa game where you kind of, you were out your seat and going, well, like Bandiaki's try, not on on Saturday night when he started stepping inside, I just thought, wow, that, oh, is yeah. a, that is a player who is both very talented, but is just oozing um, confidence and form and, and sort of belief in, in himself and what he can do. I just thought that was, that was wonderful. And I really hope it's hard because, you know, he's out in a quarterfinal with Ireland, but I really hope he's in the player of the tournament chat when we finish. And, and the final word has to go to Johnny Sexton. Um, the press conference afterwards, we were both in there, Charles, about two rows from the front where Andy Farrell and Johnny Sexton were and, and Sexton were very kind of very kind of red-eyed and, and sort of wondered actually if he was going to go at one point after the first question. Shout out to his son. Excellent kind of clip on social media saying he's still the best dad. I think that got, that got everybody um, 
suddenly a, a massive amount of onions in every single living room in, in Ireland and everywhere else being chopped. Um, but yeah, Charles watching Sexton in that moment, that that was that was pretty tough, wasn't it? And and seeing him sort of have to go through that. Yeah, you felt that you know the heart bled for him. Um, he, I mean, if Dupont, Dupont was a picture that the following evening, and, and and obviously looked completely broken, but but Sexton took it up um, quite a few notches. He looked yeah. he looked completely broken and um, utterly, yeah, just utterly demoralised and dispirited. And it wasn't how he wanted to go out. It wasn't how he deserved to go out necessarily. Um, you know, he he gave everything on the night, and it just it didn't go their way, and they lost to one of the great, the one of the great World Cup performances, and sometimes, sometimes that happens. Yeah, that was hard. That was hard to see. Hard for Ireland, and certainly felt for them going out. They won't be in the semi-finals, but one other team out of Wales and Argentina will be. Let's talk about that game next. Right to wrap up the semi-finals, it's Argentina. It's Michael Chucky's Argentina. It's two teams from Paul D in the semi-finals. Paul D. The great Paul. That Paul D. The Paul D where we must have said about two weeks ago, comfortably the worst Paul in the competition and it's not even close. Charlie, talk to me about Argentina, how they got past Wales. And 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 also afterwards, when, when chatting to players and, and coaches, what did you sort of gauge of their, of their mood ahead of, of getting to the final four? Uh, well, for, uh, first of all, Paul D. I think I called the worst ever in, in tournament wow. history, which is quite punchy because it's you know, it's now got two semi finalists. But Argentina was so bad that they could have been they should have been disqualified for how bad they were against England. They were just, <laughs> they were just shocking, weren't they? We we was we said we said we said at the time that was just a that was an all time implosion. Um, so fair play, but no, I said I said earlier in the pod I was just really. Checker, che- the question was, I think, in the presser to Checker, tell, tell, tell us about this turnaround. And he said, well, it just, there hasn't been a turnaround. There's just been a gradual improvement. Um, and if you remember, they had that week off, didn't they, after that England game? So they, yeah, they had, they, they just timed, they've done a classic thing where I was dubious about p- people calling them a tournament team because they weren't very good in 2019 either. Um, but they've shown they've they've got an older profile probably this this year, yeah. and but with players that haven't played, so yeah. those players became more comfortable in yeah. and and the sort of the, the term checker used for to describe the England game was it was a get it was a game where our players could understand what knockout yeah. rugby was without the danger of being knocked out, which was kind of I think I kind of got what he was saying afterwards from the players Colsey. Sort of a bit of a defi- a bit of defiance, a bit of yeah. nobody believes in us, which, as we know, is really a really kind of a really powerful thing. I was going to say we've heard um, that before. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In the pool D, the pool D underdogs just um, <laughs> just rolling on with with that with oh. that message. Maroni, I spoke to Matthias Maroni, who was actually said, "Did you feel like you've got nothing to lose?" And he said, "No, we feel like we we really want to get okay. to a first final in in Argentina history and." He said, "We fight for every moment." Which um, Julian Montoya's—that's his—you know—he's—he's he's kind of lived and breathed that as as their captain, and that's what they did. They steadily overhauled Wales. I thought Wales should have been out of sight um, in the first half hour, um, but they left the door open, and Argentina were good enough to to get back in it. I mean, in the end, wasn't it the most 
comfortable and convincing of the quarterfinal. I mean, I don't think Argentina would necessarily describe it as comfortable, but I think as a neutral, would you do we think it was most convincing of the four victories? I think probably, oh, which is very surprising from still, where it was at half time. Wales was still in it until the, the interception and it was I actually, I'm, I've got terrible, I'm a terrible judge for this. Games I'm at, I think I just get so caught up in. I thought the first half of Wales Argentina was was really, it was awesome. It was really sort of cut and thrust stuff. Obviously there were mistakes and clearly there were two sides that aren't aren't probably as good overall as the sides on the other side of the draw. But it was it was really interesting. And Wales, the, the pass from... Um, yeah, Jack Morgan seemed to sort of slow down time to step. I think it was Cabelli on the on the left edge, and he went through. and And Gareth Davis running a running a trademark support line spills that pass, which is a big a jarring moment because it doesn't. I watched it back, and it doesn't look like it on the on the telly the telly pictures. But he's in so much space when he does that. Then when um, George North goes through on the other side and throws a pass to Adams that's dropped, Gareth Davis is there again. So that's a seven point spill as well. And at that stage, and with the line-out errors as well that Wales had, they just they just should they should have been further ahead than ten nil, um, and then to, for it to be ten six at half time um, was nuts. Really, um, Warren Gatlin was pretty. He volunteered the referee chains, poor Jacko Piper, as a, as a reason. But I I think he I think privately he'd be probably looking. He'd do well to sort of look a little bit in the mirror at how those chances were missed and how. Wales just failed to sort of make that ascendancy pay. Did he blame? Did he blame the sort of refereeing and the and the officiating, or did he no, blame no, no, the no, sort no. of disruption caused the by disruption. the change? Right, the disruption right, okay. caused by the caused by the change. And I asked him to elaborate and just said, "Look, how 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 disruptive is that when you've um, when you have prepared all week for all sorts of things? Because we know that though that." People are thinking about not just referees' interpretations over breakdown and everything like that. It's stuff like that, that how the cadence with which they're calling in scrums. It's so the, the detail is incredible. Remember last 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 tournament, South Africa knew that Jerome Garces liked being complimented on his oh, yeah. physical appearance. Yeah. You know those those are the things people are thinking about. So it is it can be quite disruptive. However, you know the same thing happened to Argentina and they. They by the end they were comfortably on top as far as the breakdown, which obviously goes a long way um, to deciding these games. And they just adapted to what was real chaos, um, just that a bit better. And, and just to finish this section, you mentioned Dan Bigger, a fantastic Wales career. I, I, I think he's one of those players who we will look back on him in maybe a few years' time, and, and he'll be appreciated a lot more for what he's done for Wales. He, I know he can rile a lot of people up. Um, as in who aren't sporting Wales with, with how he plays, but I think he's so important from from a perspective of, of what he offers in terms of leadership and also also creativity. I don't feel like he gets enough enough praise for that. And I think I think Wales will, will really miss the kind of the leadership and the passion that he's brought to that number ten jersey. He, he um he was always damned with faint praise a bit. I remember Chris Boyd his Chris Boyd his. Uh, head coach at Northampton or director of rugby at Northampton. Whenever he'd play well for Saints, people had asked Boyd about how good Bigger had been, and he'd always say he's the best in the world at what he does. And you're like, right, okay. <laughs> so you're you're sort of admitting that he's got these limitations. And yeah, and I I just love players of any sport like that who maybe have 
things that they can't do, but make the absolute most of the things they can do. And Dan Big has certainly been one of those guys. Fantastic to talk to as a journalist too, which always kind of um, bumps him up the rankings, doesn't it? How yeah, it does. it does. But no, he's, but I, you know, has worn his heart on his sleeve and an absolute fantastic, fantastic servant. He's a ferocious competitor. You'd want him on your side. Um, and, 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 a, and a supreme individual rugby player, I would say, on an individual level. And that, that's not to take anything away from him. I just think that the things that have made him great are sort of embracing that individuality. I don't necessarily think that he was somebody who um, had the keys to, to, to completely unlocking a full back line necessarily and working in a, a very fluid, fluent midfield. But then he brought strengths in other areas. You know, he, he would he, a clutch goal kicker. Um, he was there for the big moments when you needed him, and, and I think Wales will certainly miss that that aspect mm-hmm. a lot, and, and that leadership and, and, and everything that comes with that, almost the intangible stuff. Yeah, they certainly will. Sexton going, bigger going, two two fantastic tens who've achieved great success for their countries. Right, let's finish up by having some of your questions. Okay, a couple of questions to finish up today. We've had one from um, Progressive Rugby, the uh, the welfare group, who've asked about Freddie Stewart, and how he sort of started all the pre warm up games. He started loads of matches, and now he's he was actually on the team against against um, Fiji on on Sunday. Charlie, we touched on this earlier. You, you sort of said this tournament's not over. It, it's not. Really, it wasn't really about workload, was it? It was about tactics, and, and we're expecting him to be back in the side probably. On on um, on the weekend, yeah, or, cer- or certainly certainly right in the mix. We just know Steve um, Freddie Stewart will know Steve Borthwick's methods better than better than most players in that squad. He tailors game plans to opponents, and he t- tailors selections to opponents. They're all big calls at this stage, obviously, and they're going to be made across all four teams, as you mentioned. There, Argentina at fly half. What do they do? Um, it never seemed like a permanent. Never seemed like a big. Uh, indictment of how Stewart has been playing necessarily just more of a reflection of what um, he wanted for the Fiji game um, the workload question is uh, yeah um, I don't think that was a factor in their thinking he did play all of the warm-up games maybe that was a maybe that was a bit of a double bluff going on um, as far as how they were then going to bring through Marcus Smith as an option there um, but he did miss the Chile game, didn't he? He wasn't in the 23 at all. And then they had another week off. Oh, sorry. They had, and they'd had a week. Yeah, they had a week off after that game, didn't they? So I would say it wasn't to do with workload at all. Or And I don't, I, we don't know about, it's kind of dangerous to cast aspersions on how teams are managing workload, but it certainly doesn't seem to have been a problem. It's, it's definitely the tactical case. trend that I didn't see coming. Smith at fullback and Stewart out of the 23, given how, given how much... We, we sort of talked about Stuart last year. And, and just our other question from Dan, talking about just how much England's kind of play really hinges on scrum half and that South Africa are likely to target them. Charles, who would you who would you start at scrum half? It's been Alex Mitchell now for a few weeks, but Danny Kerr's looked sharp, hasn't he, when he's come on? Yeah, but I mean, I'd keep it the same. You know, we, we talk about starters and finishers and it being an 80-minute match and and, and, and and different roles for 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 different players in the same position who are, who are playing at different periods of the game. I'd keep Alex Mitchell on for, for for 60 or so minutes, 55, 60 minutes, and then and then bring Danny Kerr on against the, some slightly more tired legs and, and when the game's broken up a little bit more and, and, and to add a little bit more zip, maybe, and a, a bit more of a, a, a threat around the fringes and... 
to put in those lovely attacking kicks, those lovely dinks that he's been putting in. And and yeah, I think they've got I think they've got the balance right at the minute. Um I think there's always a temptation with scrum halves. We've we've said this before on the pod, I think there's always a temptation with scrum halves when the the the, the, the replacement comes on and, and shines against tired legs and, and we all sort of go, Oh, uh, you know, he should be starting because he's um He's come on and he's running rings around them in the in the seventieth minute, seventy fifth minute, and but it was but the the incumbent, the starting scrum half, wasn't able to do that. And the, the caveat is always because you know the, that's the start of the match against fresh legs when they're just trying to break the team, break the opposition down, work them out a little bit. Um, I think they've got the balance right. I'd stick with Alex, Alex Mitchell. I think they're, they're dovetailing really nicely. I'd stick with Alex, Alex Mitchell and bring care on in the second half. Do not rule out Ben Young starting. That's all I'll say. Hasn't hasn't had a start this tournament, I don't think. Came on, was very good against Argentina, came on against um, Chile. That is the sort of curveball that I think Steve Borthwick is capable of throwing. He's got to think about how aggressive um, Fafterklerk or, or Reinach will be around the ruck defensively and they just might want um, to go Youngs and then care. Don't know for sure, but I can... I can feel it in my bones. We, we do like a spicy, spicy semi-final curveball. Yeah, that sounds possible. Right, that's it for today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charles. And I'll see you both again later in the week when we have our little special bonus episode from Paris with the three of us previewing how England are going to get on against South Africa and also a bit on New Zealand, Argentina as well. Can't believe we're in the semi-final week. Um, until then, you can keep up with loads of content on the Telegraph Rebel website from all of us and all of our writers and also in the newspapers. So please... Have a look out. You're bound to find something you like as we build up to two massive games this weekend. But until then, from all three of us, thanks and goodbye. We'll see you in Paris. <laughs>